five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. John Stockton, NBA Hall of Famer, all-time leader in steals, all-time leader in assists, and I have to say, probably a much better person than a basketball player. Uh, don't be afraid to use your voice in your circles. Don't be bashful, but it's no time to be bashful. The FDA right now is passing this this shot for three-year-olds. When they when all the above things, it doesn't work, and we know it's harmful, et cetera, they keep doing it, so you can't give up the fight. Don't comply. I mean, if you, somebody says wear a mask, it's time for the mask to come off. You don't have to say yes. It may cause, you may have to make a sacrifice, but in the end, it'll be better for your kids and your grandkids. Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Well, you've actually said that John Stockton was harder to guard than Michael Jordan. Yes. Because I guess that Stockton wouldn't react to your trash talk at all. He would just look right through you and yeah. keep scoring. Like a stone face. But it's a difference between him. I got to guard him 94 feet. I got to think about coming off of picks, he throwing passes. He coming back, uh, trying to uh, uh, steal basketballs. He always moving. He's taking charges on me. He doing a lot of things. I have to always focus on him. He only played 34 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's what Jerry Sloan played him. And then when you look up, he shot the ball 10 times. He (laughs) made eight. He shot seven free throws. He made all seven. Next thing you go, you look up, he got 16 assists. Then you think about it and you say, dang. He got five, six rebounds, and he got five steals. And I look up there and I say, man, he got 27, 16, 5, 5. I can't deal with that. <laughs> and we getting beat by 20. And I'm saying, and I'm done played the whole game, and I got 30, and I'm trying to struggle, and we still lose about 20. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So it's a big difference. And I done played 46 minutes, and he played 34. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm struggling with that. Yeah. So he was very hard for me to guard, and I used to hate going into Utah all the time. You know, uh, you're hearing from NBA uh, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Gary Payton. Today we have, uh, I'm just going to list some stats, 10 times NBA All-Star, um, uh, two-time NBA All-First Team, uh, six-time uh, All-NBA uh, Second Team, nine times NBA Assist Leader, two times NBA uh, Steals Leader, uh, NBA Anniversary Team of the 75th Anniversary, um, NBA All-Time Leader in Assists, all-time uh, NBA All-Time Leader in steals, a member of the the Dream Team. He was the first round, number 16th pick in the 1984 draft out of Gonzaga by the Utah Jazz. Played his entire career for one team, the Utah Jazz. Uh, but today, he is a guest on the Flyover Conservative Podcast, Mr. John Stockton. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Well, wow, you know, I, I I wanted to list all your stats and, and and do you justice, but we only have so much time for the segment. And then the credits would be rolling and be like, you know, thanks for joining us today, John. We have no more time left. What an unbelievable career you've had. Well, thank you. I, it was sure a, a great time in my life, my family's life. I, I, it's just a great time to be a basketball player in the NBA and for the Utah Jazz. We were family there. So um, anytime it comes up, it puts a smile on my face. I'm sure you've seen that that clip from Gary Payton. There's been a few versions of it. Now it, he's kind of gets 
asked that every time he goes on on any show because it's such a polarizing you know thing you know with with Jordan. But when you hear him kind of explain that, it it, it makes sense in that in that context. What what do you think the first time you heard that? I'm I doubt this is the first time you've you've seen that clip. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me about Gary. But we had wars. I mean, he was he was young and aggressive, and he's a guy that got better every year. And you know, he mentioned that he hated playing against us. And and, and I know he says that as the greatest combat. You hate it and you love it. You look forward to those games. You circle those games in advance, and you say, "Look, I I know I'm going to be in in a heck of a dogfight, win, lose, or draw. It's it's tooth and nail." So. Uh, you treasure it, and, and that's that's what I appreciate about those comments and his view. And he he showed that when we played, that he treasured and, and honored those battles, both as a team and kind of that individual game within a game. Uh, we always had some great tussles, a lot of fun. Well, that's kind of what you're famous for is that idea of 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 playing the whole court. He said, "I got to guard him 96 feet." You know, it it's it just you couldn't blink, you couldn't exhale for a second, you couldn't be like, "Okay, I'm going to catch my breath for a minute." You're, you know. What six one, 175 pounds of just persistence? Yeah, well, there's no other way to get it done. I, mean, <laughs> I don't fit any other uh, um, picture of an NBA player, frankly. And so I can't play that game. I'm not going to jump over anybody and, and uh, change the game that way. So I, I guess persistence is one of the one of the major things, just sticking with it and being that bulldog that gets a little bite and then tries to get a little bit more, tries to get a little bit more. It's... Uh, but I, I didn't have any room for air. So I, I guess if, if he noticed that and if it was effective, then I'm, I'm proud of it. You know, uh, you, you know, obviously you're not, you're going to jump off the, the, the screen as your typical NBA player walking down the street that we were preparing for this. I remember the dream team, uh, that, that you're on, you know, the original, and that was, you know, carried a little more weight maybe even than it does, you know, today that, that, that original team. And there was clips of you having a camera, you know, walking around that. I, I think our, our producer pulled that out. There's some funny cuts from that. I'll play this clip real quick. Fellow Americans, really not much different from Michael Jordan walking through here. Hi. Hi. Are you an American? But of course. You look wonderful. Why, thank you. You like the dream team, huh? Of course, we met Charles Barkley the other night. Did you? He's a hell of a player. I see you got all the players right there on your yeah. shirt. Is Charles the only one you've ever seen? He's the only one I've ever met. Hey, guys, do you know any of those guys on there? Yeah, you know, Jordan. Where? Who? Who's that? That's my dad. That's your dad? Too bad he's not here. I do, yeah. We're making a point that nobody ever recognized you. I hate this. I can't go anywhere without being bugged. <laughs> that is such a funny clip. Tell me, go kind of, if you can walk us through that a little bit. I think a lot of people have seen that over the years. If you're my era, you know, you remember that right. team specifically. Well, I'd broken my leg in the tournament of America. So I was kind of off duty. And one of my exercises every day was to walk La Rambla there for as long as I could just try to keep my leg in exercise so that when it did, the bone did heal, I could play. So I walked that every day and one of the, you know, the, the media is all around the dream team all the time. They noticed it and said, look, we'll hook you up with the camera. Would you mind walking <laughs> around and doing it? So we just added it to our normal walk every day. And it was kind of, it's kind of neat to see the kids and my wife. And that was quite an experience. We kind of got the best of both worlds, you know, of, you know, you could play at the highest level and, and, you know, be a, you know, an all-star and then just kind of slip out and go have dinner, you know, maybe yeah. as long as you're outside of, you know, that, that arena, but definitely there, you can, you know, walk around and, and, uh, have a regular life. 
truly have been a blessing. That, that, in fact, that little video and the Dream Team changed that quite a bit. There was um, quite a bit more recognition after that. But, uh, yeah, that, that was really a great part. None of my teammates could walk anywhere. You know, that if you make the suggestion, hey, let's go to this restaurant or let's walk there. Nope, nope, nope. They they just get completely bombarded. So I was probably the one guy in that group that uh, could get away with it. And I did it. We had a we had an incident on the bus where the bus got stuck in traffic about five miles away from our hotel. And um, I just hopped off the bus and got on the, uh, the subway. We knew the sub. I hopped on the bus. I was back an hour before everybody else. But... <laughs> NBA security lit into me after that. I, I was uh, I was reprimanded rather heavily for that one. Oh man! Well, you know, in that era, it, it was such because that was because I think you you were a part down to the very final cuts of the, of the college run in in 1984. Is that correct? Uh, you know, right, all the way yeah. down to the very last one to be on that on that <clears throat> the, the college team with with Bobby Knight. But that was the first run where the, the pros played, and it was it was kind of of almost like by how many points would you win and, and and those guys all playing together you know was the first time anything like that had ever ever happened what what was that like even like behind the scenes the practices because the practices had to have been a lot more competitive and and tough than the games it was basketball heaven on so many levels it's, it's really hard to describe it's first of all being asked to be a part of that team um, I thought I, I thought they were joking uh, those types of things don't happen to guys like me and uh Anyway, after I pinched myself and called a few people, I found out it was legit. So just to be part of it, off the charts experience. Then we get to practices. And then just as you mentioned, these are guys that gave up significantly of themselves, every one, every one of us, um, to be a part of that squad. It was it was put your egos in the drawer and come to work. And that didn't t- shut off the competitive nature, however. So I'm- practices were aggressive, uh, fun, and uh, – and just to see the talent of these guys and how how uh, the basketball IQ IQ was off the charts too. So you didn't really need to run a play. Guys knew where to go just by instinct and knew how to pass and knew how to catch and how to cut and how to shoot and how to dunk and run and defend. It was really a lot of fun. Well, you know, and everybody on that team had probably always been the alpha dog all the way back. You were the all-time score in in Spokane High School and Gonzaga Prep you know all the way like so so it's like every level for all of those guys wherever they came from they were the biggest deal from wherever they came from you know even at the NBA level then put them all in the same room you know I mean even I'm sure even just playing cards or messing around every everything even outside of practice had to have been a competitive just you know uh, push yeah yeah I mean you're hitting it on the head it's it's uh in an argument, in a discussion, uh, on the card games, on the flight. I mean, I think I remember Clyde Drexler doing flashcards with with the kids to do their times tables, and he had everybody's kids kind of huddled around him, and even wow. that was quasi competitive. And that's what it should be. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're supposed to we're supposed to push the envelope a little bit. I mean, that's how you get better, and you you want the best for people that you love. And so, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm sure if somebody has wadded up a piece of paper and threw it in the trash, somebody probably go get it, like t- take a step behind them and close one eye and do it, or you know, like every well, somebody had swatted away and do this. Or <laughs> so. every, every single phase of it. Uh, in that process, when I say NBA, I want to go back actually in your career a little bit, but as an NBA player from Dream Team and 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 uh, NBA Finals and playing against you know Jordan and and so many different people that that you've competed against. 
who's probably the toughest competitor that you've ever come across? Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what am I going to do about my finances? You know, times are really changing. They're changing fast. Let me give you a quick example of how in 1920, if you had a $20 bill and one ounce of gold, you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. Wow. The, the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. Today, that $20 bill, what's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a <laughs> handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now, today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com. Dot com, fill out your information for a free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Well, you could take just about everybody from that dream team you just showed, and they'd fit into that category. Um you know, certainly Michael. Michael has some competitive. Michael Jordan has some competitive instincts that I think are are u- unique. Uh, remember playing ping pong with him once at the Olympics, and wow. you know we're just smacking around. I'm thinking it's all fun and games, and and wore that one pretty quickly. And you understand <laughs> that he brings it every day for everything. And and you can either look at that, uh, you know, negatively, or you can look at it, wow, I, I and I respect that. You know, he brings it every day. He wore the yoke. Uh, he said, look, I'm. Maybe he said, I'm the best player ever and come prove me wrong. And uh, I thought he answered the bell. So uh, I appreciate competitiveness like that, even when it doesn't end up well for me. When you were a part of the, uh, the, the college team with Bobby Knight preparing for the Olympics and you were part of that, that program, you, you got to meet, meet a young man, a young man at that time named Carl Malone. And uh, go back to maybe the first time you met him, because that's a name that just kind of became synonymous with you, like Batman and Robin or peanut butter and jelly. You know, you guys became like the dynamic duo for an era of basketball. Well, thank you. It was the Olympics were that trials was as tough a test as I'd ever been through. So it was three two hour practices a day. You started with the guards, then you got guards and forwards, and then you combined all five at the end for the third practice of the day. And it was you know, you, you had to bring it, first of all, every moment of that. And then when you had downtime, you had to eat, get your legs put up and relax. And so there wasn't a lot of extra socializing and whatnot. But one day at lunch, um, there was an empty table. A lot of the tables were full. This one wasn't empty. I plunked down on one end. A guy by the name of Carl Malone, who I'd never met. I didn't know who he was. Plunked down, you know, two, three chairs away from me. And we just struck up a conversation. And uh, it was funny how how... Uh, we both remembered that conversation as, uh, you know, budding friendship, even though we probably were never going to see each other again. And yet fate had other ideas and, <laughs> and we were on the same team two years later. It's unbelievable. There's a, there's a play that you guys didn't invent, but you're synonymous with it. And, uh, nobody really seemed to be able to stop a little, little something called the pick and roll. And, uh, you guys just, it just, it was almost funny watching you work off of each other and how you can consistently do that and get open. 
Well, that was fun. I mean, we the, the, you're right. It's part of the game. It wasn't all of it. We had, I mean, Jeff had to go out. We had guards sending screens across the lane for Carl all the time. And Carl's really kind of a special talent. One of, he doesn't get mentioned much in that group, but one of the greatest of all times, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we went, worked through him a lot. We set screens for him. We tried to set up mismatches, but it didn't matter. He could catch anything and finish anything. And I had the luxury of playing with him for, what was it, 17 17 or 18 years. So, um, you know, really, really enjoyed learning how to handle the different concepts that they tried to use defensively. And I think that uh, made us both better. 17 years of playing in the NBA. I, don't, I, mean, I can't even fathom the number of practices that you guys went in together, the amount of warmups you went together, the amount of times you guys got taped up, you know, and that you, the amount of after game conversations and, and uh, trainings after off season. Now, that's a lot of hours to log all with somebody. And he's one of these guys you just never hear anything but good about. Yeah. He's a special man, not only in my life, but I, I see how, how he is in his community too. And um, he, he's just an extraordinary person. He cares about everybody and, and he just amazes me with his generosity constantly. And yeah, I was basically, I played 19 years, all but one with Carl and he played, I think he might've played, he played all but one year with, with, uh, with me. So um, we were both, it helped us both. Wow. That's a, such a rare opportunity. Very few people get to be the, you know, the John Elway or somebody that kind of one team and retires there and get to be there. So it's, it's a, it's an incredible thing to get to see, you know, what you've been able to do. Uh, you're here. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about voices for medical freedom.com, uh, a website. People can look at it. If you're listening in on Apple or Google or uh, in the podcast platforms, radio platforms, you can't see the screen. You can go to voices for medical freedom. Uh, dot com. You've, you've recently started a, a, a podcast with Ken Rutgers, uh, a, a Green Bay Packer Hall of Famer uh, for, for the Green Bay Packers and, and their organization, um, speaking out about probably something you never would have predicted being a, 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 a voice in, in the medical community. But I want to kind of maybe circle back to the beginning. We kind of started at the end. Let's go back to the beginning. You were a part of the, uh, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but you were almost like groomed and bred to be a bulldog. You grew up in the Gonzaga program. Uh, you know, your, your, your family, I think your, your grandfather, I mean, I don't know how far back, but you're, you're, you're almost more Gonzaga bulldog than the school itself. Um, <laughs> talk about that process and, and what that meant to you coming up because you were the Spokane high school. We were just in Spokane recently for an event. It's a beautiful town, beautiful, beautiful area right next to Idaho. We went over to Coeur d'Alene and we spoke at an event there with, uh, uh, Mike Flynn and, and, and Clay Clark and a whole, whole group of people and Eric Trump and some people there in, in Coeur d'Alene. I thought it's the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. It's just spectacular. You grew up into high school there. Uh, then you went to Gonzaga and then, then, then NBA hall of famer, then kind of come back to the same small town. That's just a, almost, almost like a Hallmark movie. Well, home is home. And, uh, yeah, I, I came up through the farm system. They used to joke about <laughs> when I was in college, they made fun. I, the name of this saint that Gonzaga is named after is St. Aloysius Gonzaga. And I went to St. Aloysius grade school, Gonzaga prep <laughs> high school, and then Gonzaga university, all within walking distance of my house. And, uh, I think that's probably pretty unique. And, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned once before I was, uh, uh, probably the only guy still living at home, um, that was playing his first year in the NBA. So uh, when I got home, still living with my parents. <laughs> so a little bit different upbringing. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a pretty incredible opportunity to be able to come back there. A lot of people have this, this idea of, you know, I'm growing up in a small town and I'm, I'm too big of a fish for this tank and they get in the NBA and it's, you know, 
uh, all this. They want to go to you know Miami in the off seasons and L.A. and New York and 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 be this. But what what was it maybe about your upbringing that that made that wholesomeness and familiarity like okay for you? I don't know. We just had a pretty my my parents were outstanding people. Um, and we just, when my brothers and sisters get together, we talk about that, how fortunate we were to have them and the rules and the, and the, the things that they taught us as important, you know, you greet people, you shake hands, my dad, you know, you get a firm handshake, you look people in the eye, you say, please. And thank you. Those, those little rules that those are just a small example of do pay off and they do pay off when you go to the glitz. So, um, you know, I, I think back on that a lot and it's, it's just such a great way to live. It's such a great way to raise our own children. And, uh, when I finished playing, it was, I mean, I love Salt Lake. Uh, the only other place that I'm familiar with, of course, I haven't been everywhere that it's like that, where the, the family's first and, um, you know, that was a close second, but my family was still back in Spokane still is. And, uh, you know, I was anxious to get back there and continue my life. If there's an NBA town version of what you would describe as your family norm, it probably would be Salt Lake, Utah. Well, certainly on the surface, uh, I know Salt Lake has problems just like every sure. every other big city. But uh, all in all, I think people really, really value families. Um, they really value sticking together and and trying to do the right things. Uh, but it's. Uh, yeah, I, I was very fortunate. I didn't think that when I got drafted there. I was delighted, of course, but um, I didn't know anything about Salt Lake other than they were the the mecca of the Mormon Church. Yeah, and then and you kind of got you know uh, entrenched with it. Your name synonymous with that town, you know, still, yeah, still, yeah. still. And I'm not Mormon, but Frank Frank Layton said when he drafted me, he said the reason he drafted me is because my I'm Irish, I'm Catholic, and my dad owned a bar, so it, it made me the obvious choice. <laughs> that makes it for a good fit. So you you yeah. you retire, you come back to to Spokane. You're still intertwined, and 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 uh, you host the, the the local basketball tournament. There's different things that that you're a part of. Talk about your involvement at Gonzaga University post career. Well, um, mostly it's been on a uh, well. Obviously, you get to see the Zag games. I mean, I've uh, my kids love the Zag games. I grew up I, I grew up sneaking into the gym selling programs to get in any way I could watch that games when I was a little boy, uh, I did it. And then we try to get into rap ball games to play with the Zag players when we were younger too. And that didn't happen very often when it happened, it was a special treat. So I get back and I just felt like I was jumping right back into it. I used to train yearly with the Gonzaga guys. They'd come back for school hmm. and I'd train for a month with them before I'd go to training camp. So, um, Felt like I knew each generation of, of Bulldogs as they were progressing through and uh, have a long list of, I, I, at least for my part, friendships from those guys. So when I moved back, it really wasn't much of an adjustment. It was back to the same old grind. I'm, I'm around those guys all the time. I'm around Gonzaga. My uh, The guy I worked out with that trained me every year, Steve DeLong, the trainer at Gonzaga, was still there. And uh, we lifted weights three times a week together. And, you know, so... There's just so many connections that were all revolving around our neighborhood and Gonzaga. The game of college basketball changed a lot through that that era. Now we live in Kansas City, so our NBA team is called the University of Kansas Jayhawks. You know that's our that's our NBA NBA team here. But you know the, the idea of a one and done player and the way recruiting was done, sort of in a, in a way. This, again, I'm not 
sports podcaster. I'm just a fan, you know, of of sports in general. But it, it's changed the way recruiting is done in a in a way that sort of leveled things out. We see teams like Wichita State had a run, and you see Gonzaga, and you see some of these smaller schools that can maybe keep a roster together. They learn how to play well. It, it, it seems to have leveled things out where it's not just the Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, KU. You know, in the tournament, there's always a run of these a mid-major kind of a program that's been able to be coached well and, and formulate a team that could play and compete with players that maybe have a one-and-done resume and are going to check off the box of going to the NBA. Have you seen that change a little bit with even like Gonzaga compared to when you were growing up, when you were in high school, and then throughout your NBA career to compared to what they've become now? Oh, you bet. When I was sneaking into the gym, there they didn't have any guys that were even drafted in the NBA, even when they had seven rounds of draft choices. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't grow up around that. Now they're getting guys that are coming in. They know they're coming for, for a year and then going to the NBA and trying to balance that with the guys that, you, you know, that there's, it's hard to beat a team that's played together for three, four, four years that, yeah. that, you know, they know each other's, other's thoughts. And so, to try to blend that's been difficult. And I think, you know, Coach View and the, the group here has done a great job of doing just that. However, the rules are continue to change. As you mentioned, they have NILs, name, image, and likeness, which is a uh, form of paying players, which now, you know, it's going to go back to the highest bidder. I, I'm really concerned about some of the things they've got going. The NIL is one. The uh, portal is another where guys can just not like their season, not like their coach. Maybe they got, you know, picked on a little too much. They just switch schools. And I don't know. I think you miss the lessons that you need to learn in order to progress by, by just switching and finding a greener, greener pasture. You know, each, each sport kind of approaches that different, you know, baseball and, and, you know, the NFL, you know, has, you know, regulations and, and different things. Um, NBA's kind of gone every direction. They've gone straight high school, you know, on, and then they've got the, the one year requirement. Now, what do you think is the best for kids coming out? Um, you know, I, again, I, I throw in my two cents. I look at this as a dad and raising my own kids. I'm like, I don't know. And even myself, it'd be kind of tough at 19 years old to be in a different hotel suite every night and the kind of options that that can for just, just the process. I think of college is very beneficial, but again, there's so much money involved. How do you handle that monster? That, that dog that, that, that that's kind of got off its leash a little bit. Well, for me, I go back to the same old values mom and dad taught. I mean, the European model is if you show promise and you have size in the body as as a 13-year-old, you may move away from your parents right then and there and go to these academies where you're living, doing basketball. And these kids come out speaking multiple languages, well-educated, pretty, pretty, you know, tremendous basketball games to promote themselves and do whatnot. And, And yet, I'm not sure I'd ever sacrifice my 13 through 20 years with my family you know how do you how do you ever replace that and so well there's always trade-offs and there's always an exception to every rule i i certainly wouldn't have been able to play at 18 years old at any level other than where i went you know i was probably 150 pounds and uh wasn't shaving yet or anything so but some of these kids come out (laughs) at 18 years old they're grown men and, uh, and their games are mature too and how do you hold them back um i don't know i i, I think you've got to keep an open mind about it and um try to take each case as it as it is it's certainly a different game with a lot more money involved than ever before um you know just march madness alone you know generates more you know revenue than probably you know naismith ever thought yeah. there would be you know in the whole world put together you know as this thing this thing evolved so let's, let's fast forward just a little bit to 
you're you're retired. You're 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 kind of the 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 face. You know, I'm I'm sure involved in every facet. You know, there uh, public wise at, at Gonzaga University, still living in Spokane, and then 2020 kind of happens. We head into 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 COVID, and the government begins to adjust to this and everybody's trying to figure this thing out. Let's let's maybe talk talk a little bit from your perspective. When's the first time you began to hear of coronavirus and this thing in China and it's coming here and press conferences with Trump and Pence and this begins to happen and when at what point did that start to seep into your actual world? We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, go you know the you know the thing. We will shut you down. We will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Period. I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. God actually spoke to me. He spoke about sacredness. He said to me, Kim, what I place in many, many people is sacred. And if anybody touches what is sacred to me, then it is the end for them. So what I've done in the United States of America is sacred. And there are people on every side that are trying to destroy what I deem sacred. And it's not going to happen. This is the definition of criminal conspiracy, racketeering, and collusion. This is not a theory. This is evidence. has reawakened the American heart. Well, the political part of it, that you mentioned Trump and Pence and whomever else, that that took a while. Um, the whole notion of, of vaccines and viruses and whatnot, I, I've been kind of working on that, working on it, aware of that for 30-some years um, I, I, I've become acquainted with our, our team chiropractor in Utah, Craig Bueller, who uh, was more into holistic health. And I thought he preserved my body through those long seasons, 19 of them. And, and I didn't miss many games and I credit him with that. And so he, he earned my trust over time. And he he kind of started suggesting when my kids, our kids started being born. And maybe you want to you know take a look at these vaccines and maybe lean away from them a little bit. And I go, yeah, whatever, buddy. You know, we, we all need them. And, you know, I was a hard sell. And so uh, it took a number of years for me to start seeing that, hey, maybe there's something to that. Maybe, may, you know, the flu shot, for example, it's you, you pick a, a flu out of the out of a hat and say this is going to be the disease of the year. And you right. inject people to so-called protect them, the young and the old to so-called protect them. Meanwhile, you're adding marisol mercury you're adding aluminum you're adding formaldehyde you're adding all kinds of antibiotics into the in, you know bypassing all our normal protective mechanism right through the skin right not no digestive system so and then i've watched all the the harm that's happened to it i got i used to get sick from the flu shot every year and so my eyes started being opened up over time and uh 
as I read into it and watched more and more stuff and learned more and then started seeing that, you know, there's the chicken pox vaccine. I got the chicken pox when I was a kid. We used to try to get the sure. chicken pox. Yep. They didn't have your brown kids that did it. Same for us. Yeah. I got the mumps. I got the measles. You, you don't, you know, unless, unless you've got other issues, you don't die from that stuff. And so, um, you know, viruses are just are part of our system. We have as many viruses and, and bacteria in our system as we do human cells. It's, it's not about us or them. It's, it's, they're seeking to flourish. We have to stay in balance. If we're healthy, we don't have anything to worry about. So when this all rolls in, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about a virus. Um, I've, you know, I've kept track of my body. I try to be good nutritionally. And uh, if you do get it, then you treat that nutritionally. You treat the organism, not the, not the disease. You don't try to kill the disease. And so when it came, I was comfortable. I was comfortable with my family, but I could not have guessed the government intervention. I could not have guessed how, how many institutions that we count on, our churches, our, our universities, our, our uh, governments, you know, the health district who's supposed to look after our health, the CDC is supposed to look out after our health, all right. of them abandoning health and every rule that they've ever been sworn to uphold. They go the opposite way. Let's get masks on. Let's take more chemicals into our bodies. It just became absurd so quickly that, that I felt you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier that, that I'm not looking for the limelight, but now I'm looking at it like there's no way I can remain silent. It's uh, this isn't OK what they're doing. When did you begin to realize that maybe having a position of being rational and gathering data was so polarizing? You know, because it had to have been long before that, because even mentioned the word vaccine. If you're like, you know, it's interesting. Have you looked at this? And even if you reference a study people will reject looking at it and and it's almost like you're you're uh you're suggesting hey have you ever considered drowning kittens or something <laughs> you know it's like how could you say that you're sick you're sick you're a sick freak you know just by you know maybe offering to look at a study it's that that kind of reaction where in that process did you begin to realize that oh this isn't like talking about do you like country music or rap music or something this isn't like uh, you know, do you like pizza or tacos? This isn't like any other kind of, of discussion of, of considering, of considering maybe even a delayed schedule with your children, even just yeah. tapping the brakes and maybe let's just slow it down and not do it all day one. Like, you know, how much aluminum can the body handle? Have you ever thought about that? And people say, I've never looked at it, but you're crazy for even bringing it up. Like, when did you begin to realize that, that you're dealing with an indoctrinated mind versus an open discussion, like anything else you'd come across? Well, that took a while. I mean, I mentioned we were 30 years into this process and and, and really, frankly, the whole COVID thing uh, peeled the curtains back. And so you no longer look through rose colored glasses at any of it. And it also becomes so obvious. But you go back, you go back 30 years and you say, well, this vaccine may not be the right idea. And then you go into your doctor and the doctor says, well, your daughter needs this or your son needs this. And you go, well, you know, I think I want to read up on that. And they turn your back to you and don't respond. And don't treat you anymore. And I'm going, well, okay, what, what was that? Did I right. see that? You doubt yourself for a while. Then you, I mean, that, that process went in, as I mentioned, we have six kids and, and each one, the earlier ones got a few more shots early. We, we send kids out of the hospital with what, two, three shots now, um, you know, and they're, they're required and the doctors do it without thought. And if you don't watch them closely, if you don't demand, no, your, your kid's coming out with shots and, and anything that happens after them, you're altering their, their health for the rest of their lives. 
whether they're occupying white blood cells, which those things do, you know, vaccines enliven our immune system to, to mm-hmm. attack foreign things. So either you occupy some that you may never have to use, or you actually cause long-term problems. And the list is long. Uh, you start, you know, MS, autism, asthma. Um, I mean, all you got to do is look at the flyers, the, the, the things that come in the boxes of those, and you can see what they're admitting to. They're, we're not making this stuff up. So anyway, answer your question. It took a long time to get to where I felt comfortable knowing that, hey, there's something a little bit more than opinion here. Right. And uh, maybe need to have a little bit more of a voice in opposition. Yeah, it's such a unique thing because like I could, anything else, I could, here's a cup. We could agree on that. It says fly over conservatives on it. We got that. Now we can start having a discussion about what's in it. I can tell you it's full of gold coins. I can tell you it's full of motor oil from my car. I can tell you it's full of Coca-Cola. Like we can start discussing it. But we could definitely get a people around here. We could gather, maybe take a sample. We, we could actually have a conversation about what's in it. You could look at it and say, what's well, clear? It's not motor. Like we could talk, we could talk about it, you know, and 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 gather information. And this particular topic um is just for some reason it's it's taken off the table in such a unique way that people there it's not that there's a a shadowy figure over their shoulder that they're scared. Like I can't talk about it. They're so programmed, I think from marketing and the pharmaceutical companies that some point, whether that's the doctors, I don't know exactly where it all begins, but it's not even a discussion. And so that's what I saw happen with COVID when it began to be introduced. Anyone who had an, an, an opinion, it seemed very uh, like the opposite of science. You know, you see people deleted if they said, well, at this hospital, we're we're doing this, this, and this. If it wasn't exactly in tune with what Fauci was saying, they were deleted off of YouTube. You never heard from them again. It was almost like in Roman times, like, hey, it's family. Everybody's been deleted from, you know, the face of the earth, which is unique and seemed very unscientific. Well, this is a very intentional thing. And I... I <laughs> 2020, somebody somebody sent out a, a video that called the pandemic, and I literally saw it, grabbed it, subbed it. I go, yeah, these guys are these guys are a little out there. And um, you know, probably five months later, I once I knew that that whatever it was, there was accuracy to it. I went back and grabbed it, and I go, wow, these are credible people. These are well, um, you know, a lot of PhDs, a lot of everything, and <laughs> they all make sense. And so, but it took me a while, even after 30 years of kind of anticipating this, it took me a while to say, look, there is some indoctrination to this. And you see how they get the, you know, they, they get academia. So Anthony Fauci has what, $7.6 billion to meet out for, for grants each year. And so if you're a university and you get a $50 million grant, you keep 25 of it just in your pocket. The other 25 you can use for your research. He's never ordered a research on the damage to vaccines, never. Not in his 45 or 48 years in office. Um, meanwhile, if you're a university, you're not biting that hand that feeds you. You're going to get yeah. not only that money, but you get royalties if you've created a drug that can get through the FDA and, and be marketable. You get the royalties from, get some of the royalties from that as well. So again, you're back to not biting the hand that feeds you. So every doctor that comes through over the last, call it 40 years, but maybe it's 20, maybe it's 10, believes this wholeheartedly because that's that's the narrative they're being taught from day one. And it's hard. I know, I mean, there's things I learned as a child that's hard to give up. You don't just want to give up those deep set beliefs, but uh, but there's money behind it. 
there is um, a lot of planning behind it. And that's what a lot of smart people are up against. So we kind of ran into a, a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, of goofiness we saw come out from there. You know, a lot of us became social media memes and, you know, different things. I think a lot of people just fear, you know, when, when COVID first came, it's like, everybody's going to die. CNN, everybody's got a death toll ticker at the bottom. You know, it's just almost like a stock ticker. They're almost celebrating it, keeping people in a state of fear. Their ratings went through the roof. Um, as that, as that unfolded, people spraying Clorox on their boxes if it showed up on the porch. Everybody had a different response to it. You know, you know, uh, globally, the, the, the mask, you know, became a thing. And then people would kind of rationally look at it and think, well, you know, they would breathe in smoke or something and then, you know, blow it out through the mask. And it's kind of, you know, it, it, scientifically, and then it became kind of a joke that like, it's like keep mosquitoes out with chicken wire, you know, kind of those kind of things. And you could look at it scientifically, but then it sort of became a virtue signaling thing of like, I, I guess I got to participate in something and they could have made it. I think just when you walk around town, put your finger on your nose and, and let people know that you care, that they care about you caring. And it became more about that than actual real. I think this is helping me, but like the, 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 the mask mandate kind of became a little bit more of a social group identity. Hey, I, 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 I at least want you to know that I care kind of an idea that sort of everybody accepted without a whole lot of, of resistance in a lot of the country. Yeah. There's a lot to add, add to that or, or join in on it. Like, it's like a scarlet A. If you never read the, the book, never required reading in, in school, the scarlet letter. Yeah. It's a way of branding somebody all, you know, you're branding the other guy by making him wear the mask and not wear the mask. And so that's kind of an ugly business and, and it certainly happened. And then you talk about, the deaths that were uh, reported at every level and, you, and attribution became such a big part of that. So hospitals were being um, uh, incentivized. They received more money if a person who died recently died of COVID. And so it doesn't take much. I, I mean, I've witnessed, I've witnessed it in my own family, what people put on death certificates. Yeah. Isn't necessarily what the actual death is caused by. It's between dying of COVID and dying with COVID. Right. And if you died with COVID, the, the hospital gets, let's call it 20 grand more per patient than pass away on that. Well, you know, maybe that's not that big of a stretch to change that just in just a titch. And and it happened. And so attribution, there was no pneumonia in 2020. There was no, uh, what's the other, flu deaths. I mean, those are, that's a drop of 2 million people right there. If you do, if you're going just statistically, just fell off the planet. They didn't happen that year. But all of a sudden you had 2 million COVID deaths which scared the heck out of people worldwide. So this is, you can see the, the intent, the intent here and the, the planned nature of that. So, um, but beginning, getting back, getting back to the mass. Yeah. They, uh, even now they're all acknowledging Anthony Fauci wrote a, wrote a letter in 2007, seeing the Spanish flu was more misdiagnosed, uh, pneumonia caused by masks. And yet here we are, yep. he's pushing masks for this one. So it, it's just absurd top to bottom. And so that began, so you, you, you kind of, uh, took a position of like, I'm not going to participate in silliness, I guess. I don't put words in your mouth, but your behavior became aligned with what you knew to be true, not what you were pressured or be, wanted to be virtue signaled by an environment you were in. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, it's accurate. And yet I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't even perfect in that, um, you know, you look at it and you say, uh, you, you rule out real quickly the shots. The shots are horrible. They're, they're, 
they're turning out to be deadly, but you didn't have to know that in advance. We know they're not good for you. They're not tested. We don't know what's in them. I mean, who would put that into their bodies? I certainly wouldn't. Then they say, okay, well, if you won't take that, then at least if you'll wear the mask and you'll test, well, maybe we'll let you out of it. Well, I said, no, the the testing isn't okay either because it's an invasive process. You're going up right next to your brain with, well, God knows what's on a Q-tip, maybe nothing. But they put them all the way up there, and then they tell you whether you're sick, and they change the cycles on that. Yep. Um, I mean, it's an arbitrary test. It, it shouldn't have been used. The guy that invented it said this the PCR test doesn't yep. work. Kerry Mullis said, hey, this, these are not to be used for this. Uh, it's one absurdity after another. And so you sit there and go, so if I will just do exactly what you say, and I'm going to put this mask on, which I know is unhealthy. I know it. I, I know it when I put it on myself. I can't breathe. I feel enclosed. Um, I'm taking shorter breaths. I know if my oxygen levels go down, I, it, it's harmful to the brain. And you, we do it to the kids. That's where I kind of drew the line. You're, doing, you're making kids wear these to school. With, it's hampering their development, their facial awareness, their facial anything, and their breathing. Right. It's not acceptable. And so, yeah, not only was it just I'm not wearing the mask because I'm standing up for it, but I, it's standing up for those who maybe don't know better yet. Uh, and maybe it's being jammed down their throats as well. So talk about your involvement in relationship. We got a kind of the elephant in the room with, with, uh, Gonzaga. Um, and then maybe even, you know, the NBA, I've not heard as much with that, but, but you're, you're, you're coming from a profession that's taken a unique stance on it compared to most professions and careers, um, that you could have been coming from. Well, first the NBA, and I'll work back to Gonzaga, is the, I, I made efforts to try to share what I had known up to that point with them and things moving forward. Hey, look, this is going to happen. This is what's going to be pushed. This is da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, in fact, the whole crisis, if you will, maybe worldwide, started with the Utah Jazz. Um, um, Rudy Gobert tested positive. He wasn't particularly sick. He was going to play that night, and a trainer comes running out before the game, says he tests positive. So they shut down that game, which caused the domino effects. Now they, then the NC2As, then other pro sports just started shutting off games and then 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 leagues, then seasons. So it was kind of the linchpin for everything. So yeah. I, I tried through the owners of the Jazz and through the uh, you know the heads of the NBA just to try to get word out that this isn't the crisis that that is being portrayed. And, and I, as a guess expected, fell on deaf ears. So. Then we get to Gonzaga, and they just said, "Look, you're uh, you're rather visible. There are other people that weren't wearing masks, um, but you're rather visible. You got to wear a mask. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I can't look across at these students and tell them that this is okay behavior for them or anybody else, because I know I'm I'm a visible character there. So uh, they said, "Well, then we have to uh, remove you of your tickets." And uh, it was all friendly. I mean, it was these are people I know and um, still know. I'm going to frame this real quick. We got a, you know, ESPN, ESPN article website up on, on the screen here. If you just get just listen to it on Apple or somewhere else says, again, consider you, you grew up trying to hustle your way into the stadium in, in the hometown you grew up in, uh, all time, all time, everything in that whole process, all the way through Gonzaga suspends John Stockton's men basketball tickets for failure to follow COVID-19 mask mandate. That, That seemed silly the day that it came out, and it's aged poorly. Do your feet ache and throb in pain with every step you take every day of your life? Kiss those days goodbye with slippers from MyPillow.com. 
How about that flimsy, flat little excuse for a pillow that's nothing but eight hours of disappointment? Causing you pain in your neck every single night. You can wake up with nothing but butterflies and rainbows around your head with a MyPillow pillow. Those hard wood floors hurting your old bones. No more with a MyPillow dog bed. Are your towels worn thin, flimsy, more patchy than Joe Biden's memory? There's nothing better than absorbent towels from MyPillow.com. For all of these products and more, go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code FLYOVER for up to 66% off. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The MyPillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. MyPillow 2.0. When I invented MyPillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature-regulating thread. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. Pretty well said. Um... Having said that, I don't know if you want to jump this far ahead. So, so that season comes and goes. Um, no more games for me and my family. And uh, the next season comes along. Of course, all the mask mandates have now fallen by the wayside, of course, because uh, they were absurd to begin with. And uh, I'm reading a thing that Gonzaga sends out all the time that says uh, requirements for school. You still need to be fully vaxxed and fully boosted. That's a requirement for school. I go, how can you? How can we still be thinking this? We already know it causes harm. We have the evidence. We have the data. We were the test. So 21 to 23, we were the test that they were supposed to do beforehand. We now have the data. It's harmful. It's harmful in every way, and it's not helpful. It doesn't prevent disease. doesn't prevent you from getting it or from receiving it. And yet we're still forcing these shots on on our students. I said, that's just not acceptable. And I, I said it just like that. Uh, and they said, well, we offer religious exemption. I said, that's not good enough. I said, you've taken away the uh, personal philosophical exemption, which was required by the Nuremberg Code since 1945. Um, you're required to just be able to say, I'm out. That's that's what the law says. And so they're just ignoring the law, forcing these on these kids, which they are harmful, with no benefit, zero, might have been arguably no benefit ever for that age group. You know, there's a it's a real thin statistical line that had ever hurt anybody at that age group. And yet here we are. And I just, it's impossible for me to stay silent at this point. It's impossible for me to say it's okay. Um, That's why I'm here talking with you. Um, I want to be a a function of change in that regard, but they just re-upped it. They said, we're keeping it through the semester. I mean, not only did they not get rid of it, but they, they reaffirmed it through the end of the semester. And I just don't know even know what to do with that. Other than I, I'll, I'll give up what I can. Um, 
you know, my tickets are a pretty small price to pay. I uh, love the games. Don't get me wrong. I've got a, a young man playing on the team, um, um, Anton Watson, who I coached. And I just love watching him play. And it's hard not to to go out there and support him. And yet you got to give up something when you believe in it. You got to stand for something. What an interesting situation for you to find yourself in. Now, talk about the conversations uh, with you and Ken Rutgers coming to this with the NFL background, NBA. You guys are both the tops of the top, both first round picks in your profession, you know, coming out of college. You guys understand the collegiate athlete realm. You understand the professional athlete realm. But we're looking at a global situation of of young men. Let's just talk about young men specifically dying suddenly, falling. And, and um, because they're unwilling to really look at this clear-eyed and discuss it, it's just being ignored. That's not happening over here. Um, it's still somewhat speculative, but the numbers and statistics that you guys have brought up on your podcast comparatively to two years ago, three years ago, the baseline numbers that, you, that, that that we're looking at, it's clear there's harm being done to young athletes specifically over this vaccine that is also clearly unnecessary for a healthy young man in that demographic. Just speak to that as we close out. Where are we at right now? This podcast will live and it'll be kind of, you know, time stamped as well. What do you have to say in respect to that to the past, how we've dealt with that, and then maybe to the future as they look back on this. We're putting numbers that you guys have shared from your podcast on there, voicesformedicalfreedom.com, the website, podcast by the same name. Well, we know it's harming athletes. The data's all there now, and it's not my data. I, I think the, we, if you've read the book Cause Unknown, I, I recommend it, Ed Dowd. Uh, it's a quick read, and yet it's got QR codes where you can actually see the people that are injured and died. And these are these are people with families. Or these are children, sons, daughters, mothers, uh, grandparents, whatever, um, with families that just died because of these shots. Um, tip of the iceberg, frankly. Absolute tip of the iceberg. It's not including neurological disorders, which are rampant. It's not counting the diseases that... Uh, that have jumped through the roof. Cancers, in some cases, are up 1,200%. Um, miscarriages, 600%. Uh, stillborn births. Uh, almost all of these horrible MS, people that have been in remission. I, there's probably nobody out here listening that ha- doesn't know somebody right now yeah. who suddenly just got four, stage four cancer, bam, and, and is gone already. And you go, well, how did that happen? So the athletes is the tip of the iceberg, but it's really obvious because these are people in the best shape of the right. of, of anybody in the world. That, that's what makes but it so glaring. It's so glaring. It's so obvious. So that's why we try to use it, and the data is there. But neurological, we we won't know reproductive things for twenty years. Clearly, this affects reproduction. It does with with giving birth in the first place, but in all things, sperm counts, fertility, we won't know that for years. And they're just blowing it off like it's nothing. Just take the shot, which doesn't work. And they're acknowledged it, that it doesn't work. Our producer is so. scrolling, scrolling through a site here that lists specific cases, names, situation, happened. It's not hundreds. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of specific cases. And what I like about you guys shared this on your podcast, but these we're so burned out on stats. You know, yeah. how many, how many, how many trillion are our, our governments in trillions of dollars of debt? How much is a trillion? How much more is a trillion than a million than a billion? I mean, these are numbers. We're just so bombarded with, with, with this stuff. 
every one of these numbers is a person. Yeah. And the majority of them were forced to take something that with a clear mind and no fear, I wouldn't give to my dog taking him into the veterinarian. If it's yeah. untested, unproven, but we're going to give him a vaccination for something that there's almost a less than a percent chance of everything happened to him. I probably would pass on that with my Doberman. Um, it makes you wonder if those shots for the dogs are even anything yeah. but oh. money makers, you know? So we interviewed, we interviewed a bunch of people that have been damaged. Some of them were um, actually in the test studies, fascinating stories. And you can get it on voices for medical freedom. You can see these, these interviews and they're just telling their own stories where they immediately go into paralysis issues uh, and report to their doctors. These are, these are part of the tests. These are, you know, part of the studies. They're supposed to be, their things are supposed to be recorded. They were re- removed from the test, told to take the next, the next so-called vaccine. And they've got no, they won't acknowledge that it even happens. They call it gaslighting or something. They won't even acknowledge that it's happened. So these people don't know where or how to get help. It's really a sad and tragic thing. And that's why we, in my opinion, we've got to keep vocal about it and keep sharing these things. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And I appreciate your courage to do this. You know, everybody likes to, you know, look back and think, oh, if I was alive during this era, I would have done this or I would have done that. And then the question I always ask is, what's, what's one thing you're sacrificing right now to speak up for what's right? You know, this cost you, you know, something. And for most people, when push comes to shove, it's just easier to kind of kind of blend in. Um, I'm so thankful for you. Our family is thankful for you. And I and I know the statements that you're making now will age very well. Um, I want to drive people to make sure you go to voicesformedicalfreedom.com. Your list of of topics, your conversations, you guys speak with clarity. You have you have the the brightest minds that possible about this. And you look at real data. It's not bombastic. You're not trying to be polarizing, you're just saying, you know what, I'm alive right now. I'm accountable for what I know. And you have the courage to speak up. John, our motto in this show is, 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 is get people to wake up, speak up and show up, you know, to, to take an action, even if it's a small action and they feel like maybe that's not significant. As we close, what encouragement do you have for listeners, you know, that are hearing this information and they think, oh, I'm, I've heard this and I've heard this. And they think those are just isolated and they, they feel something, you know, that's going on. What, what do you have to say to them in this era that they are alive in and they're witnessing? Be afraid to use your voice. You've already said it. Uh, don't be afraid to use your voice in your circles. Um, don't be bashful. But it's no time to be bashful. The FDA right now is passing this this shot for three year olds when they when all the above things it doesn't work. And we know it's harmful, et cetera. They keep doing it, so you can't give up the fight. Um, don't comply. I mean, if you, somebody says wear a mask, it's time for the mask to come off universally um look into these, any any medical treatment don't let anybody force any medical treatment you don't have to say yes it may cause you may have to make a sacrifice but in the end it'll be better for your kids and your grandkids man john stockton nba hall of famer all-time leader in steals all-time leader in assists and i have to say uh probably a much better person than a basketball player <laughs> Thank you well, for thank you for being brave. Over, David, and I appreciate all you guys are doing out there. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We are here to defend democracy. The misinformation poses a threat to our nation's health. Climate change is an emergency. Democratic socialism. Codified. Women's right to choose. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. 
Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what am I going to do about my finances? You know, times are really changing. They're changing fast. Let me give you a quick example of how in 1920, if you had a $20 bill and one ounce of gold, you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. You wow. Could buy the, the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. Today, that $20 bill, what's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a <laughs> handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now, today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information for your free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Flyover family, join me every Wednesday for the Prophetic Report at 1111 Central. You can find it on Rumble. You can find it on the Flyover app. We have such an incredible time of hearing from all of these different prophetic voices like Robin Bullock, Julie Green, Barry Wunsch, Amanda Grace, and Hank Kuhneman. Every week, it's either five or six different prophets that are speaking. And what's interesting is God is speaking through them. And all of these voices come together like puzzle pieces. It is so exciting to hear what the Lord is saying. We're hearing from medical. We're hearing from military intelligence. We're hearing from the financial world. We're hearing from mainstream media. But the most important is, what is God saying? He has not fallen off the throne. He's not nervous. He's not chewing his nails. He is in control. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. What a great time to be alive. And I'm so excited for you to join me every Wednesday at 1111. Have you ever wondered about ancient civilizations or the moon landing, chemtrails, the Nephilim, demons? Those are all things that fascinate me decided to use our platform of the Flyover Conservative podcast and create a new show called Conspiracy Conversations. Every Saturday morning, we get together with some of the brightest minds in the world that have spent thousands of hours on a topic, churning through the research, looking at things they've traveled, they've been to the locations, they're looking for the truth because they're as curious as you and I are about what's true. What is really true about our past, where we came from, where we are, and where we're going? We don't bring on guests to iron out their wrinkles and find out the things that we disagree on. No more than I go to the grocery store and, and, and try to put everything in the whole store in my cart. I just try to walk out with better ideas than I had when I walked in. If you got something inside you that's like, what about that? I don't even know if I agree, but I would like to hear them out. If you have an open mind and a curious heart, we've got a show for you every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Conspiracyconversations.com. 